Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. You guys like sex? (laughs) Seems to be rather popular in our society today. It's a hot topic, and uh, we wanted to take a month to teach on some of the uh, aspects of sexuality, especially issues that are that are pertinent in our society today. And so last week, uh, Bill Menser was here talking about porn. Well, it's a happy topic, isn't it? <clears throat> and he's up in Kalamazoo teaching on that right now. And uh, last week, I taught this message up there, and I'm teaching it here. And uh, what we're going to be talking about today is what's your orientation? Uh, and that has to do with uh, people's views of their sexual orientation. And this is uh, an issue that I've been a pastor for over 25 years, going on 30 years. I've never taught on this subject. And um, there's a number of reasons. One is that, um, uh, first of all, orientation uh, it has to do with how people view their own sexuality, whether they view themselves as homosexual or lesbian or um, bisexual, and we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, One of the reasons I I don't teach on this much is not that I'm afraid to talk about it. In fact, on a one-on-one basis or counseling ministry, the area of sexuality is one of the most common subjects of counseling. Uh, ministry. Most people struggle in this area. And so I have decades of experience dealing with just about every form of uh, struggle that people have in the area of sexuality. Uh, really, decades of it. And um, the reason I don't preach about it is that um, sexual orientation or the the, the can, people feeling that they're they're not straight, so they're not male or female. We'll get into a little bit more about what the definition of that. Actually, only affects a very small percentage of the population, which is uh, uh, something that you might not get if you just listen to the media or watch TV shows, because it's presented as though a large percentage of people in in the world. Uh, live an alternate sexual lifestyle. But studies have shown that less than 2%, it's more like 1.5% of adults uh, fall into any category of a queer lifestyle. And, and, and the reason I use, I'm going to use, throughout the message today, I'm going to use the term queer because that's what the people in that lifestyle now prefer. Okay? So it used to be gay, and then, then gay became the term for male homosexuals, okay, and lesbians for female homosexuals, and bisexuals are people who have sex with both men and women. Straight, of course, refers to people who have, you know, males who have sex with females, and females who have sex with males. <coughs> I am going to be talking explicitly, by the way, uh, so parents want to go through their kids. <laughs> they can become the children's ministry. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, but the term queer, which when I was a kid was an insult. 
It was one of the worst insults. Uh, but they've now embraced that term as the umbrella term that applies to all of the variants. Uh, the LGBT, the uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender was a term that they used for a while, but then they kept adding initials for different variations. I'm serious. The last one I saw was like that long. It was like 15 to 20 different things. And so that they, they, uh, they being people who are advocates of that lifestyle, uh, have uh, adapted the term queer as the umbrella term for all the people that have all the variant types of uh, sexual orientations that are not straight. Um, <clears throat> all right, so today's goal... Uh, besides just defining some of this stuff, is to start a conversation. In church, we need to talk about this stuff. We need to not be afraid. Certainly the world isn't afraid to bring up this issue. You watch a television show, and just about every uh, mainstream television show will have at least one or two gay uh, or uh, queer uh, people living a queer lifestyle. That is not proportionate to reality. Okay, it's disproportionate. There's four main characters in a TV show and one of them's queer. That's 25% of the population when really there's less than 2%. So out of 100 people, if there was 100 characters that were prime characters on a TV show, there should be at most one or two that are living a, a queer lifestyle. And so if you watch a television show, and on every television show there's, there's someone in a queer lifestyle, What's happening is it's a popular issue, okay? And so the, whether or not people practice that lifestyle, it's very popular to endorse it because a lot of famous people and celebrities have chosen it as a um, um, uh, a topic that they they want to uh, endorse. It's become a uh, like a civil rights. Uh, They've actually, people in the lifestyle, queer lifestyle, have adapted the civil rights strategy to uh, overcome discrimination uh, against that lifestyle. And it's worked, because once they identify themselves, well, this is just a civil right, and then it kind of confuses everything. <clears throat> no longer is it a moral issue. It's like, oh, this is their civil rights. We need to respect them. So today, I just want to start a conversation. Right? Hopefully, we won't get to the conclusions. So many of you have conclusions already. And so I, I hope to challenge those conclusions. Some of you, I found out uh, when I preached us up in Kalamazoo, a lot of people hadn't really thought about it. <laughs> Seriously. and uh, Which kind of surprised me, but I realized that I think about this a lot because I'm counseling with people that struggle with it. And the reason, there is a disproportionate number of people in church that struggle with uh, issues because... Uh, people whose lives are together and successful uh, often don't go to church, all right? But when people get in need or they've been abused or they're in a lifestyle that's destructive, they realize they need help, and so they, they come. Does that make sense? <clears throat> and so, yeah, actually, marriages in church often have a higher percentage of troubled marriages because those people are coming to church because they need hope, they need help. And they're looking for hope. Does it make sense? And us who are here uh, need to get our marriages strong so that we can help those who come. All right. So it's no longer about 
just a homosexual lifestyle. That's, I, I couldn't just talk about, well, what the Bible teaches about homosexuality because the question really is about gender identification. And what that means is that the, the debate in our culture today has expanded to include an entire spectrum of sexual expressions and identities. And one of the reasons this is coming to a head right now is that um, the court system have basically made it legal for homosexual marriages. Right? And it's, it's all but a done deal that, um, you know, from now on it's going to be completely legal and they're going to keep pressing so that, uh, and I'm already beginning here, that people who, who personally stand up in, in disagreement with certain lifestyles can be arrested or lose their job. All right? But it's not just a gay lifestyle. It's gender. And we need to understand what that means. Gender is now a term used no longer simply to differentiate between male and female, but a vast range uh, not based upon a person's biology or physiology, but upon their sexual orientation. So in other words, if, if a guy is a male born as a male with a male's anatomy uh, is attracted sexually once he becomes uh, uh, old enough to other males, well, his gender then is is gay, is, is how they're using the term gender. Um, well, or, for example, there was a man uh, a number of years ago that actually came to our church for quite a while. And we were all a little concerned because all the people in leadership were like, this guy seems pretty competent, but there's something about him. We're just not sure. And he finally came and made an appointment with me. And, and he said, well, I love, I love New Day. I love, how, I love your preaching. I love that you're Bible-based. And I just want you to let you know that there's, there's an issue in my life I, I want to share and I want to submit to you. I'm like, okay. He says, I'm, I, I want to be really clear. I believe homosexuality is a sin. I believe that homosexual lifestyle is a sin. The Bible is very clear about that. I agree with it. I'm completely not homosexual. Okay. So he's got my attention. Great. Glad you agree with that. He says, although, um, and I've had years of Christian counseling and other counseling, and it's, and all those years of counseling came brought me to a place where I had to accept that um, I am just most comfortable living my identity dressed as a woman. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then I realized why we were picking up on, on uh, you know, there was something because he, he wore uh, little things like pantyhose. Like you don't really notice pantyhose, right? If the guy's wearing pantyhose. Maybe it's like, oh, those are funny socks. How many times do you look at somebody's socks? You don't really notice, you know? Or different little things. And once he said that, I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, that's, that's actually just the way he dressed was a little different. Even though he wasn't dressing as a woman, he, was, he actually came and asked my permission. He said, I didn't want to do it without talking. He said, can I, can I come dressed as a woman? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> I said, because... Uh, you're in the men's bathroom and you're dressed as a woman, a uh, boy's going to walk in and be freaked out. It's going to confuse and scare them. And you're certainly not going to go in a woman's bathroom. All right? And so, 
It's not for your sake. It's for the, the kids' sakes. It, it doesn't make, you know. And I, and I told him, because he wanted to go to a church that preached the Bible. And I said, there is no, you know, church that preaches uh, the Word of God, a uh, conservative uh, Word of God, <coughs> that would allow you to do that. I said, there are gay churches. There's a gay church in uh, Kalamazoo that would accept that, but you're not going to agree with what they preach. And he had a hard time understanding that. It really. <clears throat> and so he had bought in uh, to this idea that that was, that was his identity, that he was most comfortable dressing that way. So that's called transgender or um, what's the other? Um, transvestite. All right? And this is not something new. Right? None of this is new. What's new is the level that our societies accepted it. <clears throat> okay, so I have a few questions we're going to ask before I jump into, into the bulk of the message. Um, if you're queer, must you embrace this as your identity? Because that's what the world is saying right now. And actually, a lot of Christian people are saying this as well. Uh, uh, that, you know, if, if you find yourself attracted to the opposite sex, or that man found himself most comfortable, whatever that means, dressed as a woman or... Um, uh, if you find yourself uh, attracted to the same sex, you know, and you don't know what to do with it, well, does that just mean that you're queer, that's your identity, and you have to embrace it? And, and this comes to another question, is, is your future predetermined, shaped by unseen forces that you don't have any control? All right? And, and the advocates are saying that that's your identity, and you have to embrace that and celebrate Okay, and I would even ask another question: is, Should your identity, who you see yourself, even be mostly defined by sexuality? Certainly, sexuality has a significant part, but it shouldn't be the defining aspect of your identity. All right, and so this is this is the bigger problem in our society: is that we're over-sexualized. Everything's defined by sexuality. And like, wait a minute. That's not even the most important part. It's not even close to the most important part of a person's identity is their sexuality. <clears throat> and then we ask another question. Can a person change? Uh, in general, not only in this area, but in every area. It's a big question. And isn't the message of the gospel really that everyone, everyone is called to change. Everyone is actually called to change their identity. On the deepest level, on a deeper level even even their sexuality. And so you have to approach this question, this, this issue with a lot of questions. <clears throat> All right. Um, I had a friend just a couple of weeks ago say this to me, and it was totally in a different context. had nothing to do with this issue or this uh, uh, preaching a sermon. He was another pastor. He just said... <clears throat> He said, yeah, I, I, uh, I challenge people. I say, your, your vision of your future is what shapes your present. Your vision, how you envision your future is, is what determines your, how you behave and how you feel in your present. He says, and he uses this example. He said, if, if, <clears throat> and if, if I were to do this right now, if I were to reach out here in my Bible and pull out an envelope with an all-expense-paid trip, uh, to the to, uh, cruise, seven-day cruise, all expenses paid to the Caribbean, all right, 
would it change how you feel right now? Yeah, absolutely. It would change how you felt, right? Because you would begin to envision yourself, you know, with palm trees and, and warm weather and sunshine, right? And no winter coats and sitting on the cruise ship eating, yeah, green, <coughs> right? And then it would also change your behavior because you'd start planning. You have an all-expense-paid trip. You're going to be there. So your vision of your future means that you're going to start making arrangements so you can get off work and you're going to take care of you know, the pets or the kids or whatever. And you're going to start packing and plan out what do I need to bring. <clears throat> All right? And so your present is actually shaped by your vision of your future. Well, that's true in that one little example, but that's true of life. All right? Um, and it's true, especially in this area of sexuality. So if someone says, listen, you're, because you feel this attraction to the same sex or because you, you know, are, are, uh, you fantasize about this particular area, well, you're just queer and that's your future. You need to embrace it. That's your lifestyle. You know? And so they start thinking, well, that's the guy that says what I am. Well, I met a man. I'd call this man a friend. He's, close friend, but I've known him now for a couple of years. His name's Paul. And you can read Paul's story in his own word at that link. It's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Paul's story. Um, and that's what Paul looks like. And Paul, when I first met him, was still living a gay lifestyle. <coughs> this was not too long ago. Last year? year? year ago. A little over a year ago. Um year, year and a half ago. And, uh, but it was in a, it was actually came to a men's meeting, a men's retreat. And as soon as I saw him, I thought, there's something interesting about that guy. You know, I could just pick up something different. You know, so when I, when I notice that, I say, I want to get to know that person. I don't avoid those kind of people. I actually, you know, I made sure I sat next to him at the dining table. Right? And started asking him questions. I wanted to find out. You know, am I just big, am I just imagining something or something in his background? Whatever. Well, I didn't find out <clears throat> until later uh, the details of Paul's story because it was a few months after that men's retreat um, that he revealed his life story. And there's a number of attributes about it. First of all, he was very sickly as a child. And a doctor, a male doctor, uh, finally figured out what was causing him all this sickness. And it turned out to be just a, a form of asthma, but undiagnosed asthma, especially you know, uh, 40 years ago, um, was very debilitating. And so this man made a huge difference in his life. And so Paul felt tremendous affection toward this man. He said his entire life, his, the doctor's portrait was right next to his, his other family members. He considered them part of his family. He had a strong affection toward them. And then another part of the story was uh, during elementary school and er, uh, later elementary school, he had a, a teacher, another man, and these are, these are interesting because these are all positive experiences, but... Um, Paul, all of Paul's friends were girls because the neighborhood where he lived was a girl. There's probably another little aspect here is that um, 
he didn't find this out later, but Paul's body did not produce testosterone in normal levels. In fact, he says it doesn't produce any, but you have to have some. <laughs> okay, so it's extremely low production of testosterone. Testosterone is a hormone that makes your hair grow and your deep go, voice grow deep, and it, and it causes the muscles to get big. So he was really skinny uh, uh, during this time, and he just happened to live in the neighborhood. There was all girls, so he had a bunch of friends, but they all were girls, and he just hung out with them. And, and he had this teacher at school that really helped him, that helped significantly helped him. And so he had affection for this teacher, but all of his friends, who happened to be girls, had a crush on the teacher. Okay, And so he started thinking, well, maybe that's what I have. Because that's how all of his friends were talking about how cute the teacher is. And he had feelings for the teacher. And so that little teeny change there of a, a kid trying to figure out his feelings made him start thinking, oh, maybe I have those kind of feelings toward, my, toward this teacher. In addition to having an actual physiological defect in his body that causes his, test, his hormones to be off kilter. And then another thing happened. In, uh, a little bit later in life, his older sister, who was married, left her husband and declared that she was a lesbian. All right? And so... Wow, Paul's now saying, my sister's a lesbian. I have these feelings toward men. I guess I'm gay too. And he just embraced it. And at that time, people would tell him, that's who you are. That's the way God made you. And God doesn't make mistakes. So live it. <laughs> God doesn't make mistakes, but people do. <laughs> All right? and, and, uh, and so Paul lived his entire life as a gay, about, especially in his late 40s, he, 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 he wasn't happy. He wasn't content. And he'd done it all. Uh, but he, he never was fully content. And he, he started working on his heart. And it wasn't until he came into a church, which was, happened to be our church in South Carolina, New Day Church in South Carolina, uh, where they preached a message like I'm preaching today that there's freedom available. It was the first time anyone had ever told him that he could actually change. He had never even, he had been convinced that it wasn't possible. And so his vision of the future then was now like, well, if you want to change, you can change. And that radically transformed him and he began to have hope. Uh, and so you can now read his story. He says, I, w I lived my entire adult life as a gay man, but I'm not a gay, I'm not gay anymore. And just a few weeks ago, he went out on a date. Uh, with a, a woman, and they're thinking about continuing seeing each other, and he's hoping to get married. And so, whether or not this story is typical, it's a true story. It's a real person, and you have to honor that this person's story is valid. Now, that's not the, that's not how everybody's story in in a queer lifestyle is going to develop, but that's how his story developed, and it's changed his life. And he's happier. He says he's so happy now. He's like he's finally found. He calls it the nectar of life. It's like he's tasting what he always desired. But thought was unattainable. Okay? Simply because he now realizes he's not stuck with that. Just because everyone said he, he had to be. Because he thought he was. Does that make sense? 
That's a powerful story. <clears throat> okay, so I'm going to I'm going to touch on a few of the most common questions that come up when we talk about this issue. One is, will queers, queers being lesbians, homosexuals, gays, transgender, you know, transvestite, you know, the whole spectrum, all right, <clears throat> will they go to heaven? In my opinion, that's the wrong question, all right? I'm not going to answer that question, all right? Even if you're, you take the most conservative uh, uh, viewpoint that every form of queer behavior is sin, then it's simply equivalent to saying persistently yielding to pornography, okay? Which would be completely equivalent to the sin of homosexuality, all right? Um, Jesus says, if you look at a woman to lust for her, you've committed adultery in your heart. Adultery and homosexual behavior are completely equivalent in biblical Old Testament and New Testament, no difference. All right? <clears throat> and so, if you were to say, well, the question, will queers go to heaven? You'd have to say, well, will someone who constantly yields to pornography, are they going to go to heaven? At what point does a particular sin, any sin, determine someone's eternal separation from God? I'm going to answer this with, with utmost confidence. My confident answer is, I don't know. You can take that to the bank. <laughs> so, I really don't know. And I'm not saying that it can't or won't, but I certainly don't believe that committing a sin automatically means you go to hell. You know, and so there are some people I think they need to get saved every day. And that's ridiculous. Alright. Uh, and then there's a thing, this issue called eternal security. Well, do you believe in eternal security? I believe that some, eternal security is a term, for those of you who don't know, uh, that you can know that you're eternally secure, that if you died, you're gonna go to heaven. Alright. Now some people preach that you can't ever know that. And for me, that's crazy. I think you can know whether or not you're going to heaven. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord, if you're living uh, uh, as a disciple, you can have assurance. I am completely assured if I, you know, got hit by a truck on the way home and died, I'd wake up in glory. There's no doubt. But that assurance does not equate the ability to judge other people's assurance. Right? And so, you can't judge anybody else's assurance. You can't even know if I'm going to heaven. Really. So, I've got to be very careful when I do funerals of people that have no evidence of Christian lifestyle. I don't know if they're going to go to heaven. Because you never know what happened in their heart between them and God. Maybe moments before they died, Jesus appeared. Maybe they remembered uh, something from their childhood and they embraced it. Or maybe at some point in their life they made a serious commitment, but they just struggled with besetting sins like we all do. You know, at what point does it determine? You know who determines that? Jesus determines that. He will determine it. I'm not saying it's scot-free, we don't have judgment. Actually, every one of us will stand before Jesus, the Bible's very clear on this, and face judgment. 
for the deeds done in our body. Believers and unbelievers all will stand before Jesus to answer for what we've done in our body. So, it's, what do we... Are you asking a question or are you making a statement? The point. So you're saying when you stand before Jesus, you're going to be looking for mercy because you know. <clears throat> Absolutely, and that's 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 a frame of heart we need to have, and we need to live. The Bible tells us that so that we live aware that our actions, our behaviors, our thoughts will be judged by Jesus. But we don't. The Bible doesn't teach that so that we judge others. Okay, very important part. <clears throat> so, will queers go to heaven? I don't know. It's between them, them and God. All right. Um, the response is, we need to learn what the Bible says about this issue. Believe it, live it ourselves, and talk about it. All right, because the world wants us to not talk about it. They want uh, the world wants religion to be um, private. Okay, uh, not public. But the worst kind of religion is private religion. All cults are private religion. Religion is to be personal, but public. Right? Uh, openly shared. <clears throat> so, that's another whole message. So, next question. Are some people born queer? Are people born that way? Well, let's talk about that sometime. Um, I think genetics affect every part of a person. Paul's life was significantly affected by his genetics. His hormone levels were off because of a gen genetic defect which affected the way he developed sexually and emotionally and physically. Did that affect his uh, choice of a gay lifestyle? Yeah, it had a huge effect. Uh, but it wasn't the only thing. And so another question is, is someone born a scientist or a mathematician? Or we say he's a born athlete. Well, yeah, he's born with a propensity, right? Someone born, a born athlete, he was born with a propensity, but if he never exercised, if he never learned the, 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 the skills, he wouldn't be a great athlete. You could be born the most brilliant person that was ever born, but if you sniffed glue through your teenage years and burned your brain out, right? Because that actually kills brain cells, you know? It doesn't matter what you were born. And so, is there a genetic possibility? Yeah, certainly. Our gender is, is one of the first things they discovered when they discovered uh, DNA and genes, was how to determine if someone is male or female. In fact, they can dig up bones from people that lived thousands of years ago, and one of the first things they can determine is whether it's a male or a female. It's easy to determine that. <clears throat> All right? But we're not talking about biological gender. We're talking about people's sexual orientation, and so and and uh, and so if there is a genetic connection, it's simply the evidence of our fallen nature. All right, because the Bible teaches that everyone is born broken. We're just broken in different ways, and so it's almost a, a moot discussion. But if if you constantly argue about whether or not it's genetic, then you're wasting your time. Just say, well, if it is genetic, then it's evidence of the, of the fall of mankind. All right? And the Bible says that he, 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation, and salvation means holding and healness and, and deliverance and freedom for everyone. Every man, woman, and child needs it who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greeks. At that moment, Paul was using that, that the truth about the gospel to overcome racial differences, which was the heated debate in the church in his day. And certainly our race is genetic. But the racial differences are overcome through the power of the gospel because everyone is saved. And so even if there is a genetic, and, I'm, and I think that the debate is, you know, there's genetic influences, uh, uh, but even uh, strong advocates of, uh, of gay lifestyle, you know, uh, really don't know whether or not it's strictly genetic. <clears throat> so, okay, next question. How should we relate to queers and supporters. So how do we, how do we, this is the next question, well, how do you deal with it? Because it's awkward, you know, it's difficult sometimes. Um, and I think the first verse that we need to fully embrace is what Jesus said, do not judge. And you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? All right. Now, there's a couple points here. One, it's your friend's eye. In other words, we should have friends. All right? And it's okay to have friends that have specks. And one thing that's interesting, a speck in your friend's eye and a log in your own eye, it's all a matter of perspective. Because when you have a speck in your eye, it feels like a log. <laughs> all right? So it's not like he's not saying that you actually have a log in your eye. Right? He's using it as a, a, a metaphor, if you like, to, to emphasize the point. So why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Jesus is actually teaching us how to help our friends who have problems. He's not saying don't deal with the speck in your friend's eye, which is how this verse is often misapplied or, or referred to. Uh, right? <clears throat> He's actually saying you need to get your stuff dealt with so that you can effectively help others. And so... The answer to this is we can't live judgmentally. We can't be condemning about others because of their beliefs or uh, lifestyles, even when it's something this serious. All right? We need, when you're dealing with people in a lifestyle, in, uh, or people that have embraced it because it's popular, okay, you need to really come across not judgmentally and put more emphasis on dealing with our own problems than trying to fix their failures. All right, and avoiding double standards. This is the biggest complaint that people in the queer lifestyle and advocates of it have with the Christian church because they say, who are you to tell us about how to live uh, 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 in the area of sexuality when you guys have just as high, if not higher, divorce rate? Uh, I've heard uh, that if you interview uh, hotels <coughs> uh, during Christian conferences, that the rate of pornography use on hotel televisions skyrocket. 
when there's a Christian conference that books it up. Because these Christian people are in the hotel and nobody's watching, looking, you know, so that you can watch those eight movies. Alright? I'm like, wow, that's an interesting idea. So these, this, the double standard is something that, uh, that can't be tolerated. And we won't have authority. Listen, we can't help change our society if our sexualities look so screwed up in other ways. So we can't be judgmental. But listen, the next verse that Jesus says, after he just said what I just read, don't judge, deal with the speck in your own eyes. The very next verse is, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. That's the next verse. He didn't pause. He said, don't judge, deal with the the log in your own eye before you can help uh, your friend with the speck in his and don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy and don't throw pearls to pigs. So right after a warning against judgment, Jesus immediately calls some people unholy pigs. Don't you just love Jesus? Don't judge. Especially when you're dealing with those unholy pigs. Have to, to me, that means like, oh, wait, wait a minute, Jesus, aren't you judging them? You know, I, it, he's not violating his own commandment. All right? He's telling you, okay, listen, you can't be judgmental. You can't condemn. Especially when you're dealing, trying to help somebody, a friend. But don't cast your pearls before the swine. Okay? Don't force your values, pearls, valuables, upon those who are going to just trample you and attack you. All right? I think what he's really saying is, I think is a very important part that Christians miss this all together, is that he's saying, don't argue with people. If you're in the midst of someone that's a strong advocate of homosexuality, don't try to argue with them and start throwing Bible verses at them. It ain't going to do any good. You'll just, you're just going to enrage them and inflame them. And they're going to trample all over you. You need to become their friend first. And then you need to wait for an opportunity. Yeah, wait for the opportunity to share a verse that means something to them. There was one article I read, I never met this person, but it's made a big impact in my life uh, in trying to get a, my brain around this whole issue, is that she, uh, she uh, became a uh, Christian uh, against her will. <laughs> she uh, was a successful, wealthy uh, uh if I remember correctly, she was a journalist in, uh, in, in the capital. <clears throat> and so she had lots of high-caliber uh, friends. She loved her life. She was a lesbian. But a friend invited her to a lecture by the name of uh, Timothy Keller, who was a speaker in New York City. Uh, and he's really well-known. He's a very articulate, intellectual speaker. But he's a Christian preacher. <clears throat> and he would talk about different subjects that she just happened to be interested in. So she went to one and found it to be stimulating. And was like, wow, that's very interesting. And so she went back. And then pretty soon she's going every Sunday to these lectures. Um, they were actually sermons. <laughs> and after a couple of years, she got to the point where she realized she believed this stuff. She actually believed Jesus was Lord. Right? She made a commitment to Jesus as Lord. It wasn't for, wasn't for two years before the issue of her sexuality 
was something that God chose to deal with. And so for those two years, she was living as a Christian, but she didn't realize that living as a lesbian was in any way a contradiction to Scripture. All right? Because it just didn't come up. God didn't shine the light in that area of her life. So during those two years, was she a Christian? Yeah, well, it's just like people have a lot of sins that they let go for years before God shines the light on them. I'm not saying that that sin isn't significant. I'm saying it's very significant. But if someone would have just grabbed her that first day and demanded that change because it was an issue in his or her life that they felt passionate about or was the political issue of the day, it would not have done that person any good. Does that make sense? All right. And so she wait. Eventually it did come to light. She realized it was inconsistent with Scripture. She ended her relationship. And now she's an advocate for someone that, like Paul, her life was completely changed because she found out she could change. All right. Here's another question. Jesus never mentioned it, therefore it's not a sin. Have you ever heard that one? <clears throat> if you haven't, you, you need to, if you haven't, you need to talk people about this issue. Okay? If you haven't heard this, it means you haven't been talking to pro, queer, you know, pro gay advocates, because this is one of the main things that people in the lifestyle, or people that advocate the lifestyle that it's okay, will say. Jesus never mentioned homosexuality, therefore it's okay. Alright? So how do you answer that? I'll tell you. Jesus' definition of sin is based on the Old Testament law. Okay? He was the Messiah. Okay? He lived in, he was a Jew. Alright? His whole culture ex- ex- accepted the Old Testament as the definition of godliness. In fact, his sinless nature, which is an essential aspect that defines him as Lord, the reason we call Jesus Lord, and believe that he is God, is that he never violated any of the commands of the Old Covenant. All right? He adhered to it. Okay. So to assume that Jesus' morality differed in any way from Old Testament morality is to completely misunderstand Jesus. And so by saying Jesus never mentioned homosexuality or referred to homosexuality, it's like taking him out of his cultural context. You might as well be talking about Buddha. Because we're not talking about Jesus anymore. We're talking about somebody else. Does that make sense? The Jesus of the Bible knew knew all about uh, uh, sexuality because every form of of sexual deviation is is talked about in the Old Testament. You name it, it talks about it. Pretty much. (laughs) And Jesus affirmed the Old Testament laws. Um, He said, don't misunderstand why I came. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to fulfill their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them, he will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He goes on, he says, but I warn you, Unless your righteousness, and righteousness is different than just obeying the laws. That's another whole sermon. Righteousness has to do with your right relationship with God. Okay? Your righteousness, your relationship uh, with God based 
upon faith and not based upon works. Unless your righteousness is better of a different kind altogether than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees who were strict about all the little rights and wrongs but missed the big picture of having a relationship with God. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you'll never even enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus in that passage and all throughout the New Testament completely affirms the Old Testament's definition of, of, of right and wrong in every area. But then in another place, Jesus actually defines what defiles a person. And he touches on the area of sexuality. And we're going to close with this verse. It says, uh, Jesus said, it's when it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within, and they are what defile you. So, Jesus talks about being defiled. Jesus is love, but he still he talks very clearly about things. There are things that defile you, and it's interesting that Jesus actually says it's the stuff from the inside coming out that defiles you. All right, not the stuff from the outside. It's actually the stuff from the inside. And there's four particular words that deal whoops that deal with sexuality. Uh, so the fact that he talks about our condition, his starting point, that what's inside of us defiles us, um, is that the condition of our fallen nature, our sin within, is what makes us defiled. And so the fact that, hey, it's, it's who I am, yeah, that's the problem. It's who we are that separates us. Does that make sense? You know? And so that actually, when, when they say that, that helps us. But if we argue against it, we're arguing against our, our best, uh, our best defense. And, and, and I want to help us know how to communicate in a way that's not judgmental. Sexual sins also are listed there with theft and murder and some others. And so if you say, well, those sexual sins that Jesus lists are no longer, uh, apply because of cultural ignorance, well, then you have to cross out things like theft and murder because Jesus lumped it all together, right? And no one is, is willing to do that. He's saying all of those things that defile people come from the same place. Some people struggle with sexual uh, 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 stuff. Some people struggle with murder, hatred. You know, whether they actually kill somebody or not, they get murdered in their heart or thievery or deceit. And he deals with uh, four terms. The first one is sexual uh, immorality. It's pornea. It's a general for, term for all sexual sin. When Jesus used that, it referred to every sexual sin that was listed in the Old Testament. It was just a general term. It refer, it's right from the word that we get, the word porn, today. Uh, but it, it refers to fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals, adultery, every form, any aberrant form of sexuality, any form of sexuality that's not between a man married to a woman in the covenant marriage. Okay, And that sex is holy and sacred. That's what I talked about last time I talked. 
Okay, so any any sexual activity outside of that is fornication and that defiles. All right, so Jesus actually does talk about it. All right, because that's what that word means. All right, <laughs> he mentions adultery happens to be the most uh, common uh, term. That's a specific term that refers to sleeping with someone else's spouse. And then he mentions lustful desires. And this is the term I think we really need to be aware of because that word means licentiousness or lasciviousness. And because those words have a lot of syllables, we don't use them very much. So licentiousness is a very important word. And it it means you feel that you have license to do whatever you want. That's why it's licentiousness. License. Freedom. I can do whatever I want. Right? It's the opposite of legalism. So if you have the legalist over here saying these are the things you can and cannot do, you know, to be right with God, you have the licentious person over here saying it's all about grace and you can do whatever you want because God, Jesus is love. Alright? And both sides of the, 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 the they're both ditches. Okay? <clears throat> and Jesus says, stay on the straight and narrow path. And it's difficult. And not many can. Because a lot of people will fall over there. Pharisees, scribes, a lot of people will fall over there. You follow me, Jesus. Uh, <clears throat> but it talks about the attitude of heart and mind that leads to sexual sin and the acceptance of such behavior. And the giving over of your mind to wantonness. And you know what wantonness is? Wantonness is doing whatever you want. All right? Another term that we don't use it very much anymore. So just because you're born wanting a particular sexual uh, indulgence, okay, you're born that way. You can't give over to your wantonness. Alright? Because it will defile you. But guess what? There's a better vision of your future. And the vision of your future is that you can live like Christ. You can actually be free. Let me just tell you... <clears throat> The, the Roman and Greek culture, when the New Testament was written, had fully embraced all of these forms of sexuality. They continually discover more archaeological uh, things that just depict, like murals. Just just a few years ago, they uncovered uh, in Pompeii, right? It was buried with ashes. And they uncovered this whole other residence. And on this wall was this beautiful giant mural of an orgy. Okay? Really. I mean, these murals are so explicit, you won't see them in National Geographic. Right? Yeah, that's pretty bad, because they they don't mind displaying stuff. Really. Okay? The culture had completely accepted it. It was not only okay, it was considered normal. It was abnormal not to behave in those ways. And so, the New Testament prospered not by Paul and the early church petitioning Caesar to make it illegal. Okay? And I'm not against being active in the political realm. We need to do that. Certain people are called to do it more than others. But what changed culture was people making friends with people in the, in a lifestyle that was destructive. And saying, you know what? I did. The, I used to be that way. Well, Joe over here used to be that way. And talk to him now. 
And they go, man, my life's so different, so much better. I'm free. What set you free? Jesus set me free. And so you don't practice that anymore. No, I found out sex is sacred, and there's a reason for it. It represents the image of God. It's amazing, and I feel clean. I'm, really? How'd you get free? I just said a prayer. Really? Yeah. And, it, and that changed the culture. But you know what? It took about a thousand years. It took a thousand years between the time when Greek culture accepted every form of sexuality and where homosexual behavior was completely abhorred within a cultural setting. And then for a thousand years since then, it has been degrading back to where everything's okay because they've forgotten the history. There is a reason we got rid of all that behavior because it was so destructive. Don't expect it to change overnight. So we need to work against change, but we need to understand what is right, what is wrong, how Jesus responded to it. One, well, i got to finish this the last part. <clears throat> uh, these sermons we found uh, uh, are, are so loaded that we kind of had to take extra time on them. So hopefully next week, we'll, next month, we'll get back to more timely ending. Because you guys are more flexible down here. You're not so tight. Uh, up in Kalamazoo, we have another service. And so if I don't end on time, all the people for second service are showing up, you know. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> I think that 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 last term that Jesus used that uh, talks about licentiousness or, or sexual desires is actually Jesus referring to the issue of orientation. Okay? Because that's what, that's, that's what it refers to. It's that inner desire to want something that God says is not helpful or not proper. And uh, Jesus speaks to that person, that child on the inside, like Paul when he was a kid the story of the man I told you about, trying to figure out who he was. Jesus wants to speak to that child. And uh, Jesus wants us to be able to communicate to that child. And what we need to communicate is that Jesus loves them. That God loves them. That that's where the conversation has to start. That, there is, that He loves unconditionally. And He loves them enough to... He loves them where they're at, but loves them too much to lead them where they're at. Just like He loves us wherever we're at, uh, but loves us too much to leave us there. So, and, and you never know. <clears throat> You'd be surprised. People struggle with all forms of sexual issues, whether it be pornography, whether it be same-sex attraction, whether it be uh, behavior that happened when you were uh, intoxicated uh, or uh, years ago, and. I just want you to know that there is freedom. There is freedom from every form of sin. That that type of sin is is not worse in the sense of any other sin. Although certain sins have uh, more life-dominating aspects. But Jesus can set, set you free. Jesus can set you free. And there is hope for every man, woman, and child to live completely completely free, not only from the behavior, but also from the intentions of the heart. Let's just go to prayer. Can we close in prayer? Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for the freedom that's found through faith in Jesus Christ. That Jesus, you promised that whoever believes in you would be saved. Lord, that if we just confess your name, if we believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, 
and we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, boom! That changes our eternal destiny. That changes our vision of our future. And Lord, I pray that it would begin to have full effect in our present. Both the way we think and the way we act in every area, especially this area. And Father, I pray that we, we would have grace to represent You in the area of sexual orientation in a way that brings honor, in a way that communicates love. And I pray for the, for the people here in this room that are struggling with different uh, areas of sexuality themselves, that they would find freedom through their faith in You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, we have our prayer team available. They want to pray for whatever need you have. If you have a physical healing need, uh, if you have a chronic condition, you require chronic prayer. Don't give up till God heals you. Or if there's other issues in your life that you uh, want prayer or you just want to be blessed, um, feel free to go up and receive prayer from them. Otherwise, stand up, greet one another. Thanks for coming. There's refreshments out in the family room. God bless you. You are dismissed.